you're a tired old queen looking to sip a margarita with some white boy in Sergio Valenti blue jeans. You know, I know about your life, even though you never speak about it. About your gentleman caller who showers you in rhinestones and keeps the house over your head. You're settled, comfortable. The only fights you have left are with your wrinkles and your cellulite and walking the balls. And bitch, that's because you're old. If I cut you open, there would be nothing but dust and 50 rings to count. This is the second installment of the House of Poser. This is Carefree Black Nerds review over FX's summer series, miniseries, limited series, Pose, uh, exploring the ins and outs of the ballroom culture in New York in the 80s, 87 to be exact. Oh my God, y'all. When you're listening to this episode or when you're watching Pose live, go ahead and use that hashtag PoserPod. Yes, I've settled on Poser, but <laughs> as in the last episode, you know, I had uh, a few different hashtags floating around. I still have a few, but <laughs> we'll settle for Poser Pod for this particular show. Now, um, before even getting into any of the ins and outs of this episode, I need to say that this is one of the, I don't know, greatest shows I've seen. Like, honestly, the cinematography the wardrobe, the acting, the editing, the music is fucking uh, mind-blowing. Like, the amount of licenses that these people have had to, like, acquire just to put in. Like, they have Diana Ross. They have fucking 80s, like, if for nothing else, watch this show for the music. I mean, for the story, of course, but for the music. Like, oh, my God. Okay, so getting right into it, I will say that this episode did a really good job at educating us if that makes any sense so what happens is we get a lot of kind of um lessons i'll say that uh in and out of this this movie and you know how oh shit you know how you'll have a show uh give you like the aids episode or the gay episode or something that's how this show kind of presented a lot of the information but in a way that felt natural and fluid there were a lot of good moment, moment, moments moments <laughs> and as usual this show has so many fucking quotable ass moments like uh i know there was like a little joke uh i heard a few years back about whenever drake drops a new album it's always uh these fuck boys and <laughs> company that will go ahead and just uh pull lines from the songs for captions for their Instagram photos. And this is kind of the same, but in the sense that, I, I don't know, the writer's room over there, they are killing it. Kudos to y'all. Um, we open up with uh, another house, another, another house, another ball, as usual. And I, I like that. I like that format. I know um, I live tweeted this. So if you guys are listening, go ahead and you know use that hashtag and live tweet with me on Sundays. I'm going to try to make sure that I am available on Sunday evenings to live tweet but we opened up with a ball and i was fucking through the roof and mainly because one 
Okay. Let me, because I'm going to get excited. Y'all know how I do. Seeing this ball and having that be kind of a character on the show in itself where, yes, you get this ballroom scene, but there's these people have lives outside of the scene. And even with the ballroom events going on, they act as kind of a backdrop and a intro to the show itself. And I love that. I love that. And I hope this continues through the rest of the next six episodes, like or the, the show, but the six episodes where I like how you open up with this ball and in all of its glamour, it's clearly scaled down from what the actual balls are like and what they were like in the 80s. But it's done in a way that though this is a commercial show, I, it's it's completely like I'm sucked in. Uh, and I don't know. I'm just, I fucking love it. Uh, I believe I saw Laomi uh, get chopped in the beginning, which was just dope as fuck. I just, I love, I love, I love what they're doing with this show. And this is good as hell. I couldn't ask for any, I mean, I could, but um, the episode was an hour and 35 minutes long. Like, what, like I said, it feels like you're giving us a movie. We're getting a movie every time we sit down to watch this motherfucking show. And I am here for that. Um, I love Blanca. Blanca really is consistently like a very strong character. I love the relationships in this show. I love the teachable moments. I love the peek behind the curtain in the sense that we see what life is like. We're getting a raw depiction of what, well, raw, not raw because this is a scripted series, but we're getting a, uh, a more in-depth look at, you know, what life was like in the eighties, what life as a queer person was like in the eighties, what life just getting this insight that you wouldn't ordinarily get. And we're getting one side of the story that isn't always, um, given, uh, creative license to, to tell their story. And I, I fucking love that. Um, we open up with this ball and I love that. I don't know what's going on. I mean, at times I do, but at times I don't like in the last episode, when Evangelista was formed and Blanca wanted to walk against uh, Abundance and that was a mistake. You kind of felt like, because that was the first time we got a really like significant kind of move made on her part, that it was just going to go in her favor and it didn't. So when this episode runs rolls around, uh, which if I didn't say before, category is Access. This episode two is Access. Um... Blanca really was confident in her decision to compete against mother and mother and brother's name is Electra, but I have to call her mother because this motherfucker is mother. She is Diane Carroll. She is no more wire hangers. She is homegirl from imitation of life. She is just everything <laughs> wrapped up in this vicious ass bow. And she's a mean girl. I fucking love it. <clears throat> so we get Lil Poppy and Damon with um with Blanca watching the performance and Blanca runs out like look I'm performing fucking tonight and I'm trying to figure out what is going on with this rack of clothing that's in the hallway like is it just a free for all anybody grab whatever well Blanca's like you know I've had this one of them quotable moments she said something to the effect of I no no Damon was like are you sure you should go out it's too early blah whatever and Blanca says I felt the wind at my face for so long that you don't think I would know if I feel it at my back like I'm going to win I'm like god damn like they straight out the gate you giving me just so much 
So mama, uh, mother rather, Electra is in this blue piece. It looks very, you know, of its time. And she's walking out, doing her damn thing, uh, soaking it up, sucking it up. And, so, and this is the thing that, an issue that I have. Electra walked and she got chopped. Uh, well, not got chopped. She just didn't win uh, over Blanca. And she uh, is upset about it. Now, later on in the show, she makes a comment like, you know, what the fuck is the point of competing if you don't have the competition? And she was mad because Blanca didn't show up for this other ball. We'll get to that later. But my thing now is, now you're a bit of a hypocrite because there was no competition before. Like, you've walked this and you've won. You're just sour because this newcomer, your own child, usurped that fucking title and your ass is gone. Uh, so there's something that kind of... My conclusion that I've come to is that Electra loves Blanca. And that's just, that's something that I picked up on the first episode, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what it was, if it was admiration or jealousy. But she loves Blanca, and you cannot convince me otherwise. Though she is a mean girl through and through, Electra, she loves Blanca, period, hands down. So we getting excited, hype, music going. Uh, one, I like that Lil Poppy is like the, the runner. <laughs> like they make him run up talk to Pray Tale and tell him, you know, what's coming next. Uh, but we get, I love the editing, like the lighting is like at the back of Electra's head. It's bright. You can't really see what the fuck is going on. And then out pops this motherfucker in this bubblegum pink ass 80s form fitting dress and just fucking killing it. This walk is fucking like, dare I say, sickening. This bitch, this, excuse me, Blanca is... I, she fucking killed it, period. Like, there's no there's no way she was not going to win with this, like, hands down. So, she come through, feeling her beat, rubbing her face, twirling. This bitch is twirling like it's, like, nobody's business. And, of course, she snatches the fucking title. So, Electra gets a, a 10 and a 10 and a 10 and a 10 and a 9. So, she's devastated. Uh, a 9? Who the hell do you think you are? Then this judge with his shady ass says, well, if your outfit didn't look like it came out of a coffin, that shit took me out. Like, the amount of shade, the amount of reading, the amount of disrespect and ruthlessness in this show is utterly fucking ridiculous. Like... Someone, please. Um, and I, my apologies to Angel. I fucking love Angel. Um, the first category was Weather Girl. Bring it like a uh, bring, bring it like you're auditioning for Channel Nine or something to that effect. And Angel killed it. Angel was fucking yes, great. And Pray Tell says something to the effect of, "This is usually a category for the juicy girls, Angel, but you, <laughs> but you get it or something." And Angel, Angel, yeah, she did that. Uh, Angel is another fave of mine. But, uh, yes, I love that this man completely and utterly, like, destroyed uh, Mother again by saying, <laughs> after she demands an explanation, I would give you an explanation if you didn't look like the inside of a coffin. <laughs> like, how dare you? <laughs> okay, so <laughs> enough of that. But, I, again, I like that this episode, just like the last one, opens up with a ball, with an actual ball. And it's just... Keeping that going, I think, is a very good idea because, uh, again, it makes the ballroom scene a character in the show, but it doesn't um, it doesn't it doesn't make it a crutch like it's something that we know is important and it's something that we see kind of setting up 
the the rest of the show, the flow of the show, and I I fucking love that. So uh, we move on to oh mother Electra angrily stomping through uh, the hallway. I don't know what this hallway is called, but with her little red wagon full of trophies. And this, uh, it's just fucking amazing. It reminds me of Dynasty, uh, watching that as a kid, or Dallas, or just any just like, or Designing Women, some over-the-top-ass show, fashions for days, and snappy-ass comments, snarky comments back and forth. So these motherfuckers, and this is something else. If you like, one, I think everyone should watch this show. If you like trash TV, you like reality TV shows with drinks thrown in your face and arguing and yelling, Fine, there's a place for it. Not knocking that. This is the show that you still need to watch. Every fucking time Electra and Blanca are in the same scene, these motherfuckers are going for the jugular. Like, the amount of... At one point in this episode, Blanca is has had enough of Electra, and she is cutting her to shreds. She says, you're so old. That if I cut you open, there will be nothing but dust and 50 rings. When I tell you, the I released the heartiest, deepest, loudest of cackles when she said that shit. I am, I'm, I'm done. Like, I, I feel like I am, like, <laughs> going through some type of, like, uh, I don't know, like awakening because the amount of fucking disrespect, oh my God, um, is, is, it's fucking, it's through the roof and I love it. It is, I love it. Um, so, <laughs> so they're on, and then what I also love is in this scene, you see them going back and forth and you see, uh, how pressed mother is and she's like trying to hide it by, you know, smiling and talking shit. But then you look over and see Damon, whose head is just cocked to the side. And he's looking like, what the fuck is wrong with this hoe? And that's like, <laughs> that was classic. But uh, the line that kind of took me out, which I'm just standing over the scene at this point, is when Blanca said, and the only house that I'm worried about is the International House of Pancakes. Like, bitch, I've, I've walked away. I've secured this trophy. Like, I'm done. And Mother is just adamant about... Uh, that was a fluke. The judges felt pity on you. Pray tell must have you know, made them vote a certain way because he made that ugly outfit. Like she gave every reason under the sun why Blanca should not have won and why it was a pity win as opposed to just taking that L and moving on. Like if I just, she made it worse and I loved it. Um, moving on from that, we get the introduction of Ricky. Ricky is... Ricky is trouble. This is a show set in the 80s, and Ricky feels very much like a new edition little boy. Like, he he gives that, I don't know, just something is untrusting about him. And he, and he talking about how he mopped up a vest and shit from the, uh, from, what did he say, from Marshalls? He said something, he just stole some shit. And him and Damon have this flirting going on. And I, it had me excited because, <coughs> excuse me, because during this show, we get so many different aspects of what it is to be a LGBTQ queer identifying person. And then set in the 80s, so much that transcends or transcends that translates to now, even though we have certain advances and, you know, technology and whatnot. But the story, the base, the core of it remains the same. And having this show and having it on FX and having it have the the following that it does is really 
um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's very refreshing because it seems as if a lot of these stories are stories you would get if you uh, watched an independent show, like something like Noah's Ark. Though that was on Logo and that was a big thing and still is kind of part of the uh, globe, the cultural conversation when it relates to LGBTQ, it's not a show that was on, you know, cable, regular cable where everybody's watching. Um, and it was, you know, some time ago. This is something new. This is something fresh. This is something that's showing relationships that are usually depicted as a joke, um, depicted as something sinful, something disgusting, something nasty, something to be laughed at. And you're getting, because the, the, the exchange between Damon and Ricky is so generic in a sense that you can place any variation of different characters in that conversation and it would still work. Ricky being that bad boy who clearly is a fun time, but you don't know if you could trust him. And Damon being that um, uh, naive, new to the big city, uh, attractive, talented uh, country bumpkin, so to speak. And you put any blonde haired, blue eyed white girl in Damon's role and some tall, quote unquote, dark and handsome white man in Ricky's role. And it plays out the exact same. So just seeing that and seeing it dealt with so not cavalierly, so with so much ease as if this is just a scene. This is just the relationship that these people have. And that being treated so normal, ah, oh, fucking dope. I just, I love it. I can't sing the praises of this show any more than I have already. So pose uh, on FX on Sundays, 9 Eastern, 8 Central, and I think 7... California time. I don't know. Either way. So um so we get through the title sequence and next up <laughs> is none other than Gaze on the Pier. <laughs> we get Ricky and Damon sitting up first and foremost, standing well Damon, standing for Janet Jackson. And the introduction to the conversation felt so like the whole scene felt hmm, how do I put this? Like the way it was framed. With the camera, it looked as if we were sneaking up on them mid-conversation. And it's clearly about Janet Jackson going off on her own, being separate from the Jacksons and her dad, not having a husband, not trying to be like her brother. Dope. Damon says, well, yeah, she's going to be the greatest of all time. And, you know, 20 years from now, you're going to be, you know, see I'm right or some shit. He's like, oh, you you think you're going to see each other in 20 years? Oh, I'd like to think so. And it's so cheesy but it's so real and they're both young so it's like yeah you're moving fast but then you're it's also new and exciting so it's believable Ricky um hops up and they're like running through the park and he runs to this warehouse <clears throat> or I don't, I don't know what you got me I'll just say a warehouse because we're in New York they're at the pier this is like an empty warehouse off the pier Damon runs in behind him. He's like, oh, this shit stank. This shit looks creepy as fuck. It looks like the uh, This Is America warehouse from Childish Gambino slash Donald Glover's video. But what I really like here, a couple of different things happening. You got Ricky, the streetwise, uh, smack-talking, young gentleman, not gentleman, young uh, charismatic guy. And you got Damon, this innocent dare I say vulnerable kind of naive child and they're you know just talking and flirting and doing this sort of like 
dance, not a literal dance, but this dance of what's what. So Ricky goes in to kiss Damon, which I think Damon is like an inch or two taller than him, but he, he draws back, he being Damon. He's like, well, I don't know how to do this. He's like, nigga, do what? Like, kiss? He was like, yeah, I've never made out before. And, you know, I think it's pretty much alluding to him never having had had sex before. Never, never having, never, never have, have not having, <laughs> he ain't fucked yet. <laughs> so they do a literal dance, like a little waltz. Ricky leads and leads him over to this wall where he's kind of got him pressed against the wall. It's a very, um, it's a nice scene. Uh, it's, it's, it's framed well. Uh, they're getting their point across. It's not very graphic. I mean, outside of some kissing and some grabbing, like they're both wearing these winter coats and scarves and shit. So it's very, it's a, a PG scene, so to speak. But I like this kind of back and forth that we have <clears throat> where I honestly thought Damon was going to cave in and they were going to have sex in this warehouse because over the course of the conversation, it made me realize clearly Ricky been bringing motherfuckers back to this warehouse to fuck for quite some time. And Damon's like, you know, can we go on a couple dates first? Which he's kind of been the through line between them since they first met on those steps at the ball. Where it's like, yeah, can we go on a couple dates? Can we hang out? And the first <laughs> first time Damon brought that up, Ricky was like, yeah, a date means a, a restaurant. A restaurant means a waitress. A waitress means tips. We could just get a slice and go on a stroll. Which does sound like an okay part of a night or just a night to kind of kick it. But... Nigga, we first, first time, like, getting together, y'all both young, like, go off for a slice. It's, I don't know, I guess it's whatever way you think, you know, feels, you feel comfortable or whatever. But I'm like, no, nah, I, I think Damon is deserving of a date. But I do like that we kind of go this route with him because it's, you know, life is the uh, best teacher of all. Experience is the best teacher of all. And if he had have came to New York and then the very, every single interaction he's had with someone has been perfect and great. Once he actually gets that bad experience, that motherfucker would be crushed. So I'm happy that him and Ricky aren't like this great love story, which it seems like they're going to kind of be that. Maybe that's to be his love interest because I don't see them introducing another person. But hell, this is new territory, so they may. Now, one thing of note that I forgot to mention is that Blanca walking around with her trophy and her bubblegum pink damn dress. <laughs> the trophy that's half the size as her. Uh, it's like, you know, who's that boy? He's like, oh, that's a boy I met. He wants to go on a date or go get some pizza. Can I go? She's like, yeah. And I love the relationship between Blanca and Damon. It's very, very parental and child. It's very loving. It's clearly like there's something there. And if she didn't sell you enough on the first episode, that little speech at the dance school, then this episode had to at least get you closer to that believing that, you know, they are, you know, relatives. And of course we know it's not biological, but just the care that she has for him and her other children. But we focus on him because he is kind of the, the baby, the new one to this lifestyle. I fucking love it. Period. So she says, yeah, you know, be back by three, which is like, damn, three, that's shit. Why my mama <laughs> give me a three o'clock curfew? But just seeing them interact with one another is such a beautiful thing. Uh, then we get this kid in play moment where this motherfucker sneaks back into uh, Blanca's house. She's sitting, waiting on the couch, just like I, I was, and I was tweeting. I said, if this motherfucker is on the couch or in a dark room waiting for him, I'm going to scream because <laughs> that's what it was. It's very classic. And I love that. Um, what I do like the, the part that came next is, um, Blanca pretty much 
talking to Damon about the birds and the bees. And when she said, she said, didn't your dad ever teach you about the birds and the bees? He was like, yeah, but it was like the female anatomy. And I'm sitting here the whole time like this isn't doing anything. And I really want to know about men and how do they do it and this, then, and the third. But I knew if I did, I'd, I'd probably end up dead. And it's like, damn, there's a weight to this kind of light conversation about sex, which is a conversation, you know, all, everyone should have to be more educated, but just, and then knowing about um, Blanca's diagnosis kind of as a backdrop to this conversation she's giving him, like, she walks over, gets some pamphlets and throws them to him, like, look, read this. Oh, I'm not having sex. I don't plan on it. And she said, look, point blank, no one ever plans on having sex. It can just happen. You need to know, you know, get the tools, be equipped. But the reason why this scene is so important to me is because we're getting a conversation again on cable TV that is very different. It's very, it's very normal. It's the same as the birds and the bees, but it's very different in the sense that it is tailored specifically for people who have this type of sex. And you don't get that when you go now, now I haven't been in high school in quite some time. So who knows? I'm sure there are some health classes or sex ed that has same gender, um, uh, sexual education or whatnot, but growing up in the time that I did, that wasn't the thing. Um, so seeing this and presented in such a tasteful way just kind of had me over the moon because it's like you don't get, yeah, you get the use a condom, don't get a girl pregnant, that's fine. But what about when it comes to um, same gender relationships or, or uh, hookups or sexual relationships with male and female and everyone in between and on the outside? There has to be some other way. And this is, again, I, when I watch these shows, I think of it and sometimes I try to watch it from the uh, viewpoint or what I imagine is the viewpoint of that young uh, gay queer boy or girl in Idaho or in some stuffy religious household where you're not able to you know, articulate how you feel, what's going on, or some kind of marginalized space that you're in because you're underage you don't have a lot of uh resources to take care of yourself and being able to see a show like this even if it's just watching it online or looking at the tweets or some kind of way having access to these conversations that you wouldn't ordinarily get so you're you're a bit more prepared than you would be if this show didn't exist or if you didn't have to search so hard and then don't even know what the hell you're looking for and she even brought up the idea of a top and a bottom and he was like well you know what do I, um, you know, what do I do? Uh, how do I know if I'm on top of all? She's like, you, you'll just know. Like, there's no rhyme or reason. You'll just know. Sometimes you might want to give. Sometimes you might want to get. Sometimes you want to be the pleaser and blah, whatever. And he said, it's a funny line. Well, what if I'm a bottom and I fall in love with a bottom? She was like, and this is so horrible. But she was like, no, don't do that. And he said, I thought there were no rules. And Blanca's response is, what y'all gonna do? Be bumping purses? And that's so horrible because there are relationships like that and there are relationships that work. But just the kind of, a lot of times when stuff like that pop up, I remember that, oh, this is set in the 80s. This isn't now. And even now, some of that same language and conversations are being had. But it's just so... Uh, this show is doing such a good job at getting a lot of ideas across that I think are very important that people need to see. And not just queer people and people in this community, just people in general. Uh, one thing that I really hate, and especially when it comes to, to the 
women being a topic is, you know, like about rape. Well, if somebody did something to my sister or my auntie or this and that, and it's like you don't have to have a woman. You don't have to. In order for something to be wrong, you do not have to be personally involved in it. You don't have to uh, look at a woman who has been sexually assaulted and then place one of your uh, women relatives in that role in order for it to matter. And if so, that's a problem. It should matter because it's something that happened. And and as it pertains to this show, you shouldn't have to, as a cis hetero person, have to be like, oh, you know, my cousin is gay. Uh, my uncle's girlfriend is trans or such and such. So now I can watch this with a better. Eye. No, just be educated from the start so that if you do happen to come across someone who does not identify like you do, you won't be fucking shocked and, and have this jarring fucking visceral reaction or something that's offensive when you can learn something like people in the this community are always forced to conform not conform to identify with heteronormative cisgendered heteronormatives like in all media for the most part so i feel like it wouldn't hurt to fucking watch this show as someone who doesn't identify with that community as, as excuse me as someone who doesn't identify as that community to get a little bit of education like this is free education just turn on the tv and watch the damn show you're getting a fucking movie that's a period piece in a sense that's shot with the umbrella of being in the 80s and also having these added elements that are only going to serve to help you and fuck it if you don't like the ball shit the rest of the show is very important and that's my rant so so we also move over to this bar now this is something that was oh very jarring for me so homegirl god i forget her name baby girl um i think she's latina uh who was one of the evil stepsisters that I referred to in the from the first episode and let me see Sahara 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 that's her actual name I don't I don't remember um her name on the show so forgive me but she walking through this bar looking fucking stunning fucking fur on breast up hair done makeup is fucking it's just tens whatever <laughs> looking good and all these eyes are watching her and i didn't put two and two together until she sat down and these are a bunch of white people staring at her up and down and then i didn't put together that this was a gay bar <laughs> so it was like i just assumed this was just a regular straight bar in new york in the 80s but it was a gay bar and that's important because Blanca invited homegirl to come to the bar to celebrate her victory, you know, against Mother Evangelista, Evangelista, Mother Electra, excuse me. So, uh, homegirl's like, you know, why the fuck are we here? Like, you know, whatever. And so, and then also comes out where in the beginning it looked as if everyone was bowing to the feet of Mother. Homegirl don't even give a fuck about uh, Mother Electra either. And so <laughs> Blanca's like, look, motherfucker, I'm starting my, own, I got my own house. I'm getting you. I need you, blah, blah, whatever. And it feels like a very <laughs> Nick Fury in Avengers. Like, Blanca's up like, <clears throat> I would like to speak to you about the Evangelista initiative. Like, she's just recruiting people left and right, and I love that. But the issue now becomes trans versus the cis white guys. Gay or not, these guys who are not... Uh, allowing these these women to exist in this space like unbothered because they make a lot of comments about always oh, not being Halloween calling them him and he using the wrong pronouns and describing them in the wrong way and it's just like it felt so tense because it felt so real and 
it was disgusting. But even with this layer of like, um, what do you call it? Like um, discrimination on the scene itself. Watching Blanca and Homegirl talk and discuss, it, she's uh, Homegirl's like, yeah, you know, why would I want to join your house? What if I want to, you know, start my own? It's just this. You get a very normal conversation, like in the midst of all of this drama. Um, I just you you have to watch it. You have to watch, it, especially for this scene. So we we get the bartender who's is I just. Pretty much it comes down to white gays are the worst and have been and probably will continue to be because at their core, they are simply white. Regardless of who you fucking and who you attracted to, you're white men. And that in itself makes it very hard to get over. (laughs) So the, the girls are pretty much ran out. And this is the battle. This is an ongoing battle that... Blanca is having with this bar. It's called the Boy Lounge. That's what it's called on the show. I don't know if this is an actual bar from, you know, 80s New York or whatnot, but that doesn't make the uh, the situation less real. And to see these white men manhandling these women of color is just fucking disgusting and it hurts my heart because uh, you see so much of that happening now, especially with police and, you know, just white people feeling emboldened to just do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do or they would do in secret, just doing it out in the public. And that's hard. But that leads to an argument between homegirl and Blanca because she's like, what are you doing? We were never welcoming there. It was over from the time we stepped in there. Everybody needs somebody to shit on. Uh, men shit on women. Uh, women shit on gays. Gay men shit on trans women and blacks and lights. It, like, it was the, she gave this whole rundown. And this is what I'm talking about where this show gives you so much education. And it's like, because you're involved in the community, and I see this all the time. Like I see it on the timeline. I see it in, in, in person at times. I see these things. It's very easy, I think, at times to kind of turn a blind eye or not see what you're seeing or get so comfortable because you are part of this community. But to see these issues raised in this TV show where you know millions or billions or however many of people are watching it, and it's kind of moving uh, your story or some of your own experiences to the forefront, it, it, it that's when it kind of became uh, even more real. If that makes any sense. Let me see if I can explain that another way. If you have a lived-in experience as a wealthy person and then you happen to watch a television show where they're depicting wealthy people in a certain way that's familiar to you, but then you also realize, oh, other people watching this could be, you know, poor, middle class, you know, below the poverty line and see this and then they're seeing a depiction of how it is to be wealthy. I hope that makes it. If, if that's not clear, <laughs> listeners, please tweet me carefree blurred using the hashtag poser pod. Now try to elaborate a bit more, but it's just like your experience that you lived in for so long. It's so normal to you that when you see it on a big screen on TV or movies or whatever, and you realize that other people are consuming your life or parts of your life, that that's Fiction or not, that's still a very powerful thing. And it goes back to what I said before. Watching this show, no matter what you identify as, because it's just that fucking good. Why the attitude? We did amazing tonight. A victory is hollow if there's no real competition. How dare the House of Evangelista not show their faces tonight? Where the fuck was Blanca? Uh, moving on, we get Damon at the dance school, dancing his ass off. I like that we're getting a lot of him here. Uh, not a lot, but more. 
of him at this school, and it wasn't just like a one note that oh he got in and that was that. But the the instructor's like, look, motherfucker, you got something good. Like you, what did she say? You breathe. You don't. You don't rehearse. You you live it, and living it is something. She said, I don't know, but it was just so fucking good. Like, and someone said on Twitter, and forgive me for not remembering their handle, but Damon went from being homeless sleeping on a park bench to having a home to getting into art school to getting a bay like he just he's on the rise then she invites him she being the instructor to an opera or a ballet no a ballet a ballet and uh it's it's just like he he keeps climbing he's he keeps leveling up in a way that's just ah so dope so ricky and damon decided to go for uh pizza on saturday coincidentally saturday is the day that you're supposed to go to the ballet with your instructor. So there's that, oh, what do I do? I don't have a phone number for him and such and such. Well, this is the 80s. There weren't cell phones. and Well, there wasn't technology and means to communicate it like it is now. And uh, like he said, he don't have a phone number for Ricky. So that's just that. And somebody brought up on Twitter <laughs> this uh, the question of how the fuck do you communicate? How would you cancel a date? back then and there were no cell phones and it's just another person responded you just shit out of luck if you don't have a friend of a friend to get the message to <laughs> which is like god dang i don't know if i could imagine that because i wasn't um i wasn't a child then like i was you know very new or about to be created so i don't know about that time but damn that would be it, and i'm sure it wasn't bad all bag of shit you know you deal with what you're dealt with and so pay phones were all the rave back then so i'm sure that was a way as well um so pretty much damien gets to make a decision do you go on this date with ricky or do you go to the ballet with your instructor and they set up the show where you're not supposed to really be a fan of ricky and I'm not, but then I am. Like, I am because he's a, he's an interesting guy. He's funny. I like him in the story. But then I wasn't because I knew that he was supposed to be an ain't shit fuckboy. And that's the way they played it. And this is something that I predicted that I kind of called when I saw them interacting. Is that Ricky was actually going to be the opposite of what we expected. Which he ended up, because he did push himself on Damon. He did try to you know, fuck with him or whatever, and it didn't work out, and Damon is insisting that they date. Well, everyone's like, oh, well, he's not going to show up. He's going to stand him up and such and such. But the very fact that you got invited to this ballet let me know that it was actually going to be Damon who was going to stand up Ricky, and that's how it happened. And Ricky, it was such a sad, like, little scene. He was at the, while Damon is at the ballet, which was beautiful, the, the music and everything, um, Ricky was sitting at the pizza place with these two cold slices waiting. And then I'm thinking like a few things. Okay. Why did you get this pizza so early? Like I personally would have just waited for the person to show up. And then we got the pizza together. I'm not going to have it waiting. Cause hell, what if you were running late because of the subway, not because you weren't showing up. So then you come back like 20, 30 minutes later, this piece of cold. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Secondly, Ricky, why are you mad? Like, I mean, I get why you're mad, but he ends up like throwing the pizza away. Bruh, you are homeless, which we learn later on that he doesn't, like he's sleeping on the pier. But if that's the case, food probably isn't that easy to come by or um, or that bountiful. Well, hell, you have nowhere to store because you have no home. Why would you throw that pizza away? I'm 
was just like, nigga, eat that goddamn pizza. Like, I get that you're mad, but mm, calm down. P- don't take it out on the pizza. <laughs> so, um, so that experience or that experience, that scene was very, not hard to watch, but it, I just, I knew that because Damon is set up to be this innocent, beautiful child that we all root for, I knew he was going to fuck up. Uh, so we get the kids as a whole, uh, the family, the family of Evangelista eating dinner. So we get Angel, we get Lil Poppy. And what I like about this show is that they're not holding your hand through every single scene. Like we get Lil Poppy and him and Blanca are interacting as if they've been interacting, you know, for a while. Like there's not a whole lot of this is where Lil Poppy's been. This is what he's doing. This is, it's none of that. They kind of just rush through and you get, you know, what you get, which kind of makes it feel like these people's lives are going on and we just happen to catch up with them for an hour and a half on Sunday. And I really like that because you're not explaining a lot. You're you're giving the audience um, uh, the space to fill in the blanks and just go with the story. You're not holding their hand. And so I, I really, I really like that. So um, we find out that little Poppy got a skateboard and Mama Blanca is mad about that. Where the fuck you get that skateboard? What with this money? Where you get some money? I got some money from I got some money. So Angel alludes to him selling drugs. And we know Angel is a uh, sex worker. So I like this kind of I don't want to say dysfunctional because that's not the right word, but this non-conventional, non-traditional family, even in the sense of a house, they don't have what we see houses like now. And then even as a biological family, nuclear family, this is like a single mother and her kids. Like it's a breakdown. And then this is a trans woman. And then these are LGBT kids. This is the trans daughter and, you know, two gay sons. Well, I don't know how Poppy identifies, but either way, you... You get this, you get this normalcy that you would get with a family, a nuclear family of four, mom, dad, 2.5 kids, you know, two kids and a dog. But then you get it in this very untraditional way with these LGBT characters, LGBTQ characters who are honestly, when you like, okay, like this scene, if you take this scene and, and show it to someone who knows nothing about gayness or whatever. And you just present this scene. It really looks like there is a mother and her kids eating dinner. They're probably not the wealthiest. Even explaining the um, the backdrop of the 80s, they still don't, they still aren't wealthy. I mean, they're, they're clearly um, just a family who's making it day by day. I'll, I'll say that for lack of like more explanation. And that scene, which I think was like maybe a minute or two minutes. No, it had to be like maybe about three or four minutes was such a very, a good scene. But again, you get this normal scene that you would get on any TV show or movie about a family having dinner, but then you get this extra, ah, it's it's just so good. I'm fanning out my bad, my bad. So Blanca returns to the bar and this white man picks her up and throws her out. I oh my god again this is the, what I this is what I'm talking about I've said before how I get things um watching people of color on screen I'm always hyper aware of what's going on yes it's scripted yes it's fiction but this is fiction based on a lot of experiences that people you know had firsthand and that they know of from this time period and it is very uh painful to watch 
even though I they're acting and I'm sure they took all the necessary precautions to make sure that Blanca was fine physically or you know whatever or she knew what she was signing up for but it still does not change how painful it looks especially to see some white man putting his hands on anyone of color especially a woman and manhandling in the, in this way it's just oh god it it was hard to watch so we move on to uh stan and polly or megan or penelope whatever this chick name is his wife and he's crunching numbers and she's complaining about not having a dishwasher and he pretty much like chews her out and she's like well if i gotta deal with your fucking attitude can i at least get a dishwasher out of it and he's talking about you know you bought that dress we gotta look like the joneses we gotta act like the joneses we gotta do this and that and it's it's one of those it's like the other side of all this glamorous opulence that you got from this like trump era um uh materialistic flashy shit like what you got in the first episode when james vanderbeek aka matt told homeboy look now it's okay to be flashy i can wear this nine thousand dollar watch i got three more at home like i it's okay to do all these things and you kind of get the sense that stan and his family would be the same way they'd get money but then in the second episode we see kind of the the flip side whereas that they're doing these things but they're kind of actors in this play he's like you know, we're accepted. I, I can pass. You can't or whatever. But we still they have problems with money. It's just, this is a good-ass show. Uh, Kind of moving along, we get Blanca ending up in jail because she will not stop going back to this bar and demanding to be served by a community that she's a part of. And they are just disrespecting her at every turn, calling her a man, calling her a him, being rude, physically attacking her, talking shit. And there's a point where you have the token black gay guy in a bar full of a sea of whiteness. And Blanca turns to him and is like, they don't want us here. And this little bitch, like, oh, no, they don't want you here. I, oh, I could have stepped my foot through the screen. Whoop that motherfucker. It's just, what are you doing? How do you see the... Okay, I'm of two minds because there are those who say, well, why did you even care? You know, don't go somewhere where you aren't wanted. But at the same time, I'm a part of this community. I shouldn't have to hide, cower, go anywhere else. This is where I belong. This is where I can be. It's not a go to this bar up, up uptown. What if this was right, right next door to her, her apartment? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, yeah, it's easy to say, oh, you could just go somewhere else. You're not wanted here. That's not you have to upset the status quo at times. And if, especially if it's in your own community, this is not like she's going to some heterosexual white bar for college kids. This is a community that she belongs to just by definition of existing definition, just by existing. So why do I have to fight with you to get a fucking drink? I don't have to fight with you to take my money. So I don't, I, you know, cause I can see it from both points of view, but I'm, you know, listeners, what do you think? Do you think it was stupid for Blanca to even be upset about this and to go back time after time? Or do you feel like she was justified and should have been vindicated after all that bullshit that they put her through? Because at one point, I personally feel like it became about the principle of it all. Motherfucker, you're not about to deny me. This is my fucking place. And I'm giving you money. Give my drink, hope. But, you know, whatever. I like to know what y'all think. Please message me on Twitter. Uh, tweet me using the hashtag PoserPod and let me know what you think. Um, so we get that. We also get, <laughs> we get a ball that goes on 
and Mother Electra wins her category. Well, she's upset. Like I said before, she made the comment of, you know, um, how do you, a win isn't a win when you don't have, you know, any competition or something to that effect. Well, I'm looking at it like, motherfucker, that's what you've been doing. You've been going in here snatching these trophies. Sometimes there's competitors, sometimes they're not. But no one ever seems to be nearly close to Mother Electra until uh, Blanca came along, which probably is the issue in itself, that she snatched the title from you and now you want it back. Cool, I get that. But it's like she became obsessed about this. And everyone was, well, who I saw was like, oh, she's so pressed, she's upset. But again, I feel as if Electra loves Blanca. Like, that's your daughter, that's your child. You helped her become the woman she is today. Like, you're partly the reason, even if it's, you know, the mean things you said to her, you're still part of the reason she is the person she is today. And she was so upset, she being Electra, that Blanca didn't show up for the ball. She's like, oh, no, fuck that. Where the hell at? Like, we're, give me a chance to win my title back. <clears throat> and it, it's, it came to the point where she went to, <laughs> she went to Electra's job, Electra. Electra went to Blanca's job, which is, she's a nail tech. And she's so fucking shady. But again, like I said, if you like drama and, and, and shade and reading and, and just a bunch of bullshit back and forth, this is the scene for you. They went at each other's throats again, and that's when Blanca made the comment that you're so old if I cut you open, all I see is dust and 50 rings. Like, who is writing this shit? I know Janet Mock for sure is a part of the production team. Like, oh God, she killed it. So, uh, kind of taking a couple steps back with Ricky and Damon, they are going back and forth and pretty much Damon went and apologized and you know, all this other shit. And he's kind of begging in my eyes for Ricky to love him because Ricky was supposed to love me. And, uh, <laughs> and Ricky's like, well, you know, fuck it. You know, I, I waited for you for an hour and a half, like a fool. You didn't show up. And like I said before, I knew they were going to turn it on his head where Ricky isn't the bad guy. And he was talking with a trans woman, um, and I think two two different occasions. And Ricky must be just really little because everybody everybody he talks to is towering over him. But Damon did this whole, I'm just a boy standing here looking at another boy asking him to love me. Like this whole like 90s love story thing about, didn't you want better? I thought you wanted better for yourself than this. And, you know, come with me to the ballet. And it's just very, uh, it's, it was frustrating, but it felt very real. It felt like two young ass motherfuckers who are so one, all this pride, the other one, you know, feel so justified. And, you know, it's just, I feel like Damien had no right to demand anything from Ricky when you are the reason why y'all wasn't together. Because my thing is, yes, there's no phones. You don't have Ricky's number, but you knew for a fact y'all was supposed to meet at whatever piece of place. You mean to tell me there's no one that you could have sent to that piece of place to say, hey, he's going to this ballet, blah, whatever. You couldn't have said, you know, have him meet me at the ballet at, you know, midnight. Like there's so many other ways you could have gone to just fall on. Oh, well, I don't have his phone number. I don't have a phone. You knew he like you knew where you were supposed to be. It's like the whole Thanos thing. Yeah, you want to eliminate half of the universe so that there can be balance, but nigga, just snap your fingers and make a bountiful feast for everyone. 
Make their resources for everyone. Don't tell me there's finite resources when you have six gems that can control everything. Time, space, soul, all that shit, matter, everything. But you want to just kill people with it? Nah, bruh. Nah, bruh. Uh, <laughs> so, we also get Stan and Angel. And Stan is, you know, bitching about the dishwasher. He can't get his wife a dishwasher. But he, he seeks out Angel. He finds her in this little red light district. And this, like, little, not a sex, like a, I don't know what you call them. But those, like, rooms where you pay money, the door opens up. Or the, the 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 shades open up and there's a guy or a girl dancing sexily for you and then they close you know whatever that shit is he goes there finds her and pretty much becomes a walking ID channel show he is like pretty much obsessed with her which is kind of interesting like it feels almost like oh that's so romantic but then there's a part of me that's like this shit isn't going to end well he's possessive. I don't like other men touching you. What? And, nigga, what? So Angel's like, yeah, I haven't seen you in three weeks. So, nigga, what do you want? I'm not a kept woman. You know, I don't have some apartment in Manhattan with a refrigerator full of groceries and a mink in my closet. So what the fuck do you want? Eventually, we just, they speed this along and he's like, look, I'm pretty much going to take care of you. And he even had a very good scene kind of conversation, quotable moment where he was talking about, you know, what he is. And she was like, look, and, uh, men like you are usually gay or um, or sleep with women, uh, think they're not gay, something to that effect. Uh, and his response was, well, I'm nobody. I'm bland. I'm a white man. I work. I, you know, I make enough money to have stuff, but then not enough to own it. It just, it was like a really nice kind of uh, monologue, kind of, you know, Shonda Rhimes-ish. And he ended with pretty much, I'm bland. I'm a nobody. I fade into the background. You, however, live your life. And the uh, only payment you have is that no one wants you to be alive. Now, that isn't verbatim, but it was something to that effect. And he's like, look, I'm going to take care of you. But Angel secured the bag. She said, look, that's cool and all, but I want a year's lease because I don't want you running out on me after you didn't got your fix, acting like, you know, shit, like I was never there. It's like, oh, I'm not going to leave my wife. Bitch, I don't need you to leave your fucking wife. I'm not stupid. It's just, it was such a good, honest conversation. And seeing it happen between the two of them was like, I don't know. I'm sure there are other movies that maybe have handled this in a different way, but it felt very much like a updated pretty woman. So uh, I really like the acting in that. And we find out that, you know, he gets his wife a dishwasher after begging for a raise from Matt. And he gets Angel her lease. And we don't see it yet, but he just shows her the key. So I think in the next episode, we'll see it. We got, got a little glimpse of like this all white everything. Just a nice, beautiful, upscale, classy spot or whatever. So, you know, good deal. But um, what I'm thinking of is... Everyone made a deal with the devil. Like, you know, he made that deal with Matt, which ultimately, seeing the the clips for the next episode, it looks as if Matt about to start fucking Polly, Penelope, Megan, Sandra, whatever that white girl name is, uh, Stan's wife. He about to start fucking her. Like, or something. Um, what else? A, um, excuse me. So, yeah, so we get there with them, and then we get to... Uh, back to Damon and Ricky and Ricky shows up for the play or the ballet and they hold hands and it's such a nice experience and it's one of those things this whole show but especially that particular moment with Ricky and Damon um, I read a lot of Elin Harris growing up and that 
era of gay LGBTQ in the 80s, early 90s is like kind of where my mind went to while watching this episode, but particularly Ricky and Damon scenes. It took me to an Elin Harris novel. And I just, I don't know if that was the same for everyone or some people. If so, tweet me and let me know. <laughs> Carefree Blurred. Use the hashtag PoserPod. But it gave a very nostalgic feeling, a very this is new and wonderful and, you know, Things could go any number of ways, but in this moment, we're here and uh, we're in love to an extent. I don't think that Ricky and Damon are actually in love, but we're we're in love. We're in this this wonderful newlywed space, and you know what what comes after we don't know. But right now, this is what's important. So I really really enjoy seeing that. I love seeing this queer love. I love seeing these different representations of what love and affection and dating and sex can be like. Because just looking at Angel and Stan, and Angel even said, you know, you haven't touched me. You know, what are you? Are you gay, straight? What? Like, you have not touched me. We've just laid in the bed talking, and, you know, you're upset and jealous. But now, even with the use of pronouns, how people kept misgendering the women on the show to be an insult. Because uh, Stan went to go see... Angel for the first time, and he was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to cut to the chase. I'm looking for Angel. And the attendant who was taking his money was like, yeah, he's a, um, yeah, he's real popular. He's like, no, that's the she. He's like, oh, yeah, whatever, pal, such and such. He's like, no, that's a, a woman. And so just the way that Stan views Angel and their relationship, it's just, I'm not praising this white boy by no means at all, but I'm just saying that there is a, um, level of care given to these relationships that you don't normally see with this uh, community of people. And so I'm so, so, so happy to see this. Because, again, these shows, these episodes play like whole movies. Like, this is an hour and a half that I've sat down and watched the damn show. And then I actually watched half of it again before recording because it's just I just, watching it on FX, it played right after it ended. And I was just stuck watching it because it's like it's so beautifully shot edited music is dope the score is great the wardrobe is amazing the melanin is popping the storylines are easy to get into this is oh, man what a time to be alive uh i want to wrap this up i'm running a bit long here but my favorite of this episode i i, I feel like i'm gonna default to blanca but i don't want to do that um and i would like to go with damon but he did some fuck shit little poppy as a side note, is a drug dealer. He ain't supposed to be. <laughs> so I know that's going to cause trouble later on. Um, and I want to go with Angel, but I honestly have to say, I think Mother is Electra. Um, case in point, or, oh, I don't know. There's so many good ones to choose from. But I think I will go with uh, Electra this week. And that is because Electra, mean ass, talking shit about. Uh, Evangelista talking shit about Blanca talking shit about her since the show fucking started in episode one snatches all these trophies gets her trophy taken and is pissed shows up at this woman's job cutting it to her ass she won a, a trophy from you you cutting to her ass she don't show up to the ball you cutting to her ass Blanca ends up in prison, in jail you know for trespassing or talking shit to the police at this gay bar and he throws her in jail she makes bail because who else? Mother with her petty ass <laughs> bailed this motherfucker out just to talk shit to her in her face again and to tell her, you need to show up at this next ball. Give me a chance to win my crown back. Which is like, 
it's so oh god the differences between the two of them like I made an assumption that Electra was a kept woman or came from money and I figured it was kept woman because coming from money I don't think the company that she has within the ballroom scene like the the young girls and, and guys who hang around her I don't think that would be the company you would keep if you were a kept woman it seems like you know with the way she presents herself it would be maybe people closer to her level um, it came out that she is a kept woman that you know either won somebody or a few somebody's you know pay her for you know her time or whatever that hasn't been explicitly said, like in detail but it has been said by Blanca and <laughs> mother Electra said you know uh, you ought to be grateful you know that I have someone who's willing to support me or pay for me or sponsor me or something and but you um, you made me spend my weekly allowance and it's only Tuesday so she spent whatever money to get Blanca out of jail. Uh, but she did it specifically so that Blanca could show up at this ball and she could get her title back, which is like, bitch, you doing all this shit for these like superficial reasons. Well, I won't say that. I'll say on the surface, they seem superficial. Blanca's doing things that wound her up in jail because she believes in something. And I don't know if the show is trying to mimic the like Stonewall situation or if it's just you know this is an advocate or if this is something that a writer or someone close to the show has actually experienced before uh but i, I can only draw from what i know and what you know i'm making assumptions and filling in plot holes and whatnot but it seems that blanca's fight is more serious and is rooted in something that's real but you can't turn a blind eye to the fact that mothers is as well she says like you know, the shit you fighting for, that's nothing. We we have to go where we're accepted. We're accepted in the ballroom community. If you aren't, if you don't make a name for yourself there, how do you think you're going to make a name, you know, uh, fighting and, and arguing and shit and being thrown in jail? You'll never be a, a legendary mother or a house or whatever. This is where we matter. We get up every day and we fight in the ballroom is, you know, I'm not, I'm paraphrasing. This is where we matter. This is what's important. So even though that may come off as superficial to some, it's real what she said. We're a marginalized community existing in the world that would much rather see us dead or non-existent. This space is created specifically for us, and this is where we're going to fight to continue You know, our, our legacy. This is it in this space here. So, yeah, you mad about this bar and whatnot. And it was, oh, it's just like this constant back and forth. Like, man, it's good. If you haven't been watching the show, please take the time out to watch this goddamn show before we get too far along and then you got four goddamn movies as episodes that you need to watch. Jump on now. Watch episode one and two. Come back and listen to the podcast. Please rate, review, comment, subscribe, like, repost, reshare, all that good shit and talk to me and let folks know how good this show is. Or hell, if you disagree, I'd like to hear that too. Um, If you don't agree that... uh. Electra should be the favorite this week, then say that as well. But I got to default to her because though Blanca ideas were noble and she was fighting for a, you know, legitimate cause, Electra is petty. <laughs> She's fucking Regina George, Diane Carroll, uh, Will and Grace. Like she has that sassy ass mouth. She got that fucked up attitude. But then even the attitude itself, it's coming from somewhere. And I feel like she probably wanted better for her children specifically or mainly uh, Blanca and some kind of way dropped the ball. It's like if you get into an argument with your significant other or anyone in general and then you you 
discover that you're wrong, realize that you're wrong, or always knew you were wrong, but was still trying to fight to be right just because of your pride. That's what it feels like with her. And that's why I say Electra loves Blanca. You cannot convince me any different. Just seeing the way that she's acting like, why in the fuck would you bail this motherfucker out of jail? Yeah, you want to, to compete against her to get your crown back, but you could continue on without her, with her being just locked up. Like, who's the yeah, people can? I didn't get the sense that anyone would uh, challenge her in the sense that saying that, well, if Blanca wasn't in jail, you wouldn't have that. I don't think anyone it, that may be it, but it just felt like you're coming from a place of love. It might be a frenemy situation, but you have love for this woman and you're bending over backwards for her. Yeah, you benefit somewhat as a side effect, but. You could have won against anybody else. You could have won trophy after trophy after trophy, and she could have just rotted in jail, and that was that. But you didn't. Like, and then you put your own hard-earned money from Big Papa or whoever for this woman's bail. It's like, nah, nah, no, ma'am. You you have love for this woman, so that's that. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite scene, damn, this is such a good episode, like such a good movie, rather. Uh, I don't think that I have a favorite scene. Electra's my favorite cast member of this week favorite scene uh had to be all the scenes oh no i was gonna say between angel and stan but not really like i'm not feeling stan like that and i can do without him so i'll say damon damon and ricky all of their scenes like as a whole like this whole new love fish out of water trying to make my way making my way downtown (laughs) that whole situation i'd say that was my my favorite scene like Ah, uh, love it, love it, love these crazy kids. Uh, well, yeah, so we'll we'll go ahead and end it there. I know there's a lot that I probably didn't touch on, but you know it is what it is. If you, oh, excuse me, now if you when you listen to this episode, please make sure to use the hashtag PoserPod. Uh, love to know who's listening, what you got to say, any additional thoughts, uh, feedback, any of that good stuff. And when you're listening, watching. <laughs> I'm on sometime. When you're watching uh, Pose, make sure you tweet using the hashtag as well. And if there's something you want to say to me, a question you want to ask, something you want me to discuss on the next episode, or, you know, if you're from the future and you found this series, limited series, miniseries, whatever, and you uh, have questions or want to talk about some shit, tweet me and let me know from the future. How did Pose do? How did Poser Pod do? <laughs> uh, so that being said, this is Brian Coleman of the Carefree Black Nerd Podcast. Bringing an end to episode two of House the House of Poser, uh, episode two access. You can email me at carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Tweet me at carefreeblur. That is probably the quickest way to get in touch with me. Use the hashtag poserpod on Instagram and other social medias. I am Carefree Black Nerd, and this has been uh, dope. Talk back to me, and until next time, the category is. <laughs>